Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come check us out. Our Sunday service is at 1030. Uh, You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary316.com. Wherever you're listening, I do encourage you to stay with me over the next hour as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. Over the last, really, couple months, when we took the turn from 2018 to 2019, uh, the show has gotten quite political. A lot of the subject matter has been really based in current events, and that's one of the the purposes of the show. Uh, We've taken a bit of a break Um, from some of our interviews. We've got some lined up. They're still coming. Um, But today I want to kind of get back to doing something that we've done periodically in the past. Um, And that's kind of speak to the audience about something I think is very relevant, but also very biblically based. Now, there's an old saying, and I have no idea who was the one that, that, that coined it, but every human being really falls into one of three unique categories. Uh, You are either approaching a storm, that there is a storm on your horizon. You're either in the midst of a storm, and man, things are chaotic and crazy, and you don't know your right from your left, up from down, you're disoriented. Or you're leaving a storm. You're either approaching a storm, you're in a storm, Or there's a storm in the rear view. But every human being deals with storms. Now, let me provide a bit of a a caveat to what I mean by storm. When we talk about storms from a biblical context, we're talking about not a literal storm, although we'll look at a literal storm uh, here today. But what we're talking about is life. Living in a fallen world. Living in this fallen, messed up planet. I don't know about you, but life ain't easy on this ball of dust called Earth. Now, sure, there are incredible seasons. Seasons of fruitfulness. Seasons of, of, of warmth. Seasons where things are clicking. Everything's falling your way. Where there's a harvest. And you're enjoying that harvest. Sure, there are times in our lives where it's all good. But then there are other seasons, other times, where things aren't so good. That things aren't working the way that we had planned, or the way that we intended, or the way we desired. Storms come in varying sizes and intensities. Sometimes it's a it's a just the storm of the day, or in our household, the evening, when it's bedtime. Trying to put a seven-year-old and a four-year-old boy, boys, into bed. Uh, it's like every night, it's a storm. To get them to clean their room, it's a meltdown and a storm. Small storms. But let's be real, that there are other times in life where, oh man, storms are, are massive. Hurricane, tumultuous where our world gets rocked, where there are moments we're not quite sure if we're going to make it to the other side. Storms. There are storms recorded in Scripture, literal storms. But these literal storms seek to articulate lessons for emotional storms, storms of life. One of my favorite gospel authors, and they're all unique in their own way, but I love I love the gospel of Mark. I love the gospel of Mark mainly because he's dictating more than likely from the perspective of the apostle Peter. And Peter's just rapid fire. I mean, it's like the ADD gospel. I mean, he is moving from here to here to here. Not a lot of detail, just flying by the seat of his pants, getting as much into the narrative as he possibly can. But in chapter four of, of Mark's gospel, let me read you just a section, a little bit of the story. Again, Peter telling Mark, recalling that on the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, this being the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. 
Now, when they left the multitude, they took Jesus along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And then Peter recalls how a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was filling with water. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And so the disciples, they wake him up and they say to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And immediately the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And Jesus turns now to these disciples and he says to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, I would say so. And they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark begins this particular story telling us that when evening had come. Now for context, Jesus has just spent a very long day ministering to the multitudes Now, sensing that it was time to push into new areas, which was normal for Jesus, he tells the disciples, evening had come, let's go to the other side. Now, Jesus is instructing the disciples to prepare a boat so that they can travel across the Sea of Galilee during night. Now, note the Sea of Galilee. And this is one of the most amazing uh, things that hit you when you go to to Israel. But the Sea of Galilee is not very big. You stand on the shore and and you're really actually taken back by it. How small it is. It's seven miles wide by 14 miles long. It's not big at all. You see, for a crew of experienced seamen, which these disciples, keep in mind, were. They were professionals. The journey across the Sea of Galilee really shouldn't have taken anything more than just a few hours under the right conditions. Well, Mark tells us, That when the multitude finally does leave, they load up, they set sail. But then an interesting detail is provided. We're told they took him, this being Jesus, along in the boat. It's an interesting way of phrasing this. The purpose isn't to let you know that they decided to bring Jesus with them. Jesus was the one that said that they were going. Instead, I'm convinced that this detail... It's included in the text to provide us insight into the attitude of the disciples once they board the boat and set upon their journey. Jesus had commanded them, right? Let us, us, plural, cross over the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't, by the way, take me over to the other side, which seems to indicate Jesus had every intention of doing what? Let us cross over. Let us make our way to the other side. Jesus wanted to help. But Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Jesus was a greenhorn, a carpenter by trade, a rabbi. So instead of allowing Jesus to help, it would appear the disciples tell Jesus, Jesus, you just sit back, enjoy the ride, and stay out of our way. Again, we are the professionals. And you know the truth, according to as Peter remembers the story, Jesus didn't argue with them at all. We're told that he actually decides to take the opportunity for a little rest and relaxation. Mark says Jesus goes down into the stern and he goes to sleep on a pillow. This pillow would be better translated as the pillow. It's definitive. The idea is that Jesus is sleeping in the, the captain's quarters. Now imagine the scene. It's been a long day filled with all kinds of activity. A day filled with ministry. It's now night. Jesus and the disciples, they're making their way across a darkened sea of Galilee, only only lit up by the moon. Jesus is asleep. The disciples, they're manning the boat. All is well. (laughs) That is until things take a dramatic turn. We're told that as they're making their way, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was filling up with water, which if you're on a body of water and your boat is taking on water, that's a bad thing. You're going to sink in a hurry. Water out there, water not in here. It's like sailing 101. It's been said that the Sea of Galilee, which is nothing more than a small lake, it gets its name the sea because it behaves like a sea. 
The Sea of Galilee is located about 600 feet below sea level, surrounded almost completely by mountains, meaning it's not uncommon for these type of violent and unpredictable storms to swoop down onto the sea unexpectedly, quickly. The cold air coming off the mountains mixes with the warmer wear emanating off the water, creating low-pressure zones. It's been recorded that swells on the Sea of Galilee can get up to six feet tall. This was quite a storm. Now, though it's safe to assume that experienced fishermen like Peter, James, and John, Andrew, like these men were, it's safe for us to assume that they had in their time navigated their fair share of storms. This was not the first storm. They had probably even sensed the approaching danger. As they're making their way, the moon disappears. Clouds are starting to move in. They can feel it in their bones. A storm is coming. But as our story unfolds, it becomes evident that while these men may have been professionals and had encountered and navigated their own fair share of storms, they almost immediately understood this was not normal. This was not typical. As a matter of fact, things become so dire so quickly, the boat's filling with water, and they're in danger of going down. Matthew, one of the other gospel authors, his account of this story, which is recorded in Matthew 8, indicates that the storm was produced by more than simply a great windstorm, as Mark writes. Matthew tells us that suddenly there was a great tempest. The word tempest is the Greek word seismos, It's where we get the word seismic. It indicates that not only was the sea being stirred because of a wind from probably the top, but it was being violently shaken up from below. Every other place in the Bible that we find this word seismos, it's in reference to an earthquake. The wind stirred from above and this great earthquake rattled the sea from beneath. This was indeed a great storm. Now, don't forget that while all of this is taking place, Mark tells us that Jesus, what is he up to? Jesus is sound asleep. They're freaking out. The boat's taking water. Jesus is in the quarters asleep on the pillow. And yet the text seems to imply that the disciples think that Jesus is kind of faking it with the intention of teaching them a greater lesson. Now, how can we say that? First, how in the world would you sleep through such a storm? But notice their exchange with Jesus. Mark says they awoke Jesus, and look at what they said to him. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? If the disciples really believed that Jesus was asleep and unaware of what was happening, their reaction would have probably been more like, Jesus, will you wake up quick? We need your help. The boat's in danger of sinking. But that's not what they said. They said, do you not care? You know, their question in the midst of the storm indicates that they believe that Jesus, he knew what was happening, and yet Jesus was making a decision to do nothing about it. Do you not care that we are perishing? The accusation, what is it doing? It's questioning why Jesus wasn't helping that very moment by assuming that he knew the situation had grown to the point of desperation. Have you ever been in a storm and that's your immediate reaction? Jesus, I know you know what's going on in my life. I know you know what I'm facing, what I'm dealing with. But why why are you doing nothing? Do you not care? You see, we often equate Jesus' inaction as him not caring. Now, we'll pick up where we are when we come back. But I want to remind you, this episode is being podcasted. Check out outlawradio.org for quick links to our podcast available on iTunes as well as Google Play. If you can't listen to this episode in its entirety, you can go subscribe to the podcast. As a matter of fact, this episode's probably already posted, and uh, and so it's the easiest way to, to, to catch up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, 
yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at blueletterbible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as blueletterbible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about, I think, something very relevant to all. Storms. Yeah, isn't it interesting that we that we we talk about trials and tribulations? We, we talk about good times, and we and we always equate these things to patterns of the weather. Storms are bad times. Harvest plentiful, fruitful. Summer, spring, newness. It's it's a universal illustration because we all live on the same planet. But we're talking about storms, and we're looking at a storm that the disciples find themselves in on the Sea of Galilee. It's dark, it's nighttime, and Jesus is asleep on the boat. And they come to Jesus in desperation. And their accusation indicates that they believe Jesus knows what's going on and is just choosing to do nothing about it. They come to him and they say, Teacher, they wake him up. Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? Notice what happens next. We're told, again, this is Peter recounting the story. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Mark writing things down. But in response to this question, aimed at challenging Jesus' inaction, why are you doing nothing, Jesus? We're sinking. What, what happens next? We read that Jesus doesn't address them at all. <laughs> he gets up, probably rubs the sleep out of his eyes. And remember, the, the wind and the waves and the things are crashing down and the, the sea, it's chopping the boat. And, and, he, and he gets his way up to the top of the stern and we're told that he, he rebukes the wind and then he turns to the sea and he says, peace be still. Literally, be muzzled and stay muzzled. And then, what happens? The wind ceases and there was a great calm. Now, now, again, try to get yourself into this scene. Does Jesus care about the storm? No. You think the storm was going to take Jesus out? Not at all. Does he feel threatened by the storm? Nope. Is he fearful that they're going to sink and all perish? No. As a matter of fact, is anything happening outside of Jesus' control in this situation? Not in the slightest. It becomes abundantly clear the storm is, is entirely an afterthought to Jesus. The disciples are freaking out frantically, waking Jesus up. Do you not care? We are perishing. Jesus, he doesn't overreact. He rebukes the storm, almost as if the storm's a nuisance. And he rebukes the storm so that he can now address these panic-stricken disciples. <laughs> Again, I see Jesus getting up. Rebuking the storm almost as if it's just a formality, like, like hitting snooze on the alarm clock before then turning to the disciples, asking them, why are you so fearful? Now, that's funny. Like, think about it. If you're one of these disciples, what can you possibly say in that moment? They're afraid about this storm. They're afraid the storm is going to sink them. And yet now, the very storm, when Jesus asked them, why are you so fearful, that had caused them to question whether or not Jesus cared, no longer existed. What storm? Like, I can see Jesus standing in the middle of this boat on a calm sea, illuminated by, by a full moon, stars, looking around at, at a group of men who are waterlogged, 
frazzled, completely exhausted. As he asked this question, what, what are you guys afraid of? <laughs> Literally, guys, what's scaring you? At that moment, and this is the important lesson, their fear of the storm, it seemed kind of ridiculous. Like, like understand, the storm was never the issue. The issue wasn't even the disciples' fear of the storm. Like, being afraid of a life-threatening situation is just a natural human reaction. The issue, and we'll see this in a moment, was that their fear of the storm, well, it revealed a lack of faith in Jesus. It's why Jesus then asks, how is it that you have no faith? When it's all said and done, it's important we realize two critical points concerning storms. One, they happen. They will happen. But two, there's a a purpose. Let's look at each. To begin with, it would be helpful that you understand that within Scripture, as honestly within all forms of literature, there is a direct correlation between the natural world and the spiritual world. Situations where natural occurrences present a picture of a spiritual occurrence. Storms, as I've already mentioned, they represent difficult times. Periods of stretching circumstances that are daunting. Additionally, Scripture seems to indicate that not all storms arise for the same reason, nor do storms in Scripture even have the same purpose. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, you can find two different types of storms. First, there are storms of obedience. These are storms, uh, let, let me backtrack, storms of disobedience. These are storms of our own making. Two types of storms, storms of disobedience. Situations that God allows into your life for this express purpose of correction. A storm of disobedience, it's a self-made storm, often caused by sin or rebellion or a poor choice. It's undeniable that God lovingly allows storms of disobedience into our lives to correct us of our disobedience, not to do us in or to sink us, but to set us back on the correct course, to get our eyes back on him. Because these storms are the natural manifestations of our decisions, the irony of storms of disobedience is these are unique storms that are avoidable. A great example of this type of storm would be Jonah. Called to go to Nineveh, he's like, I am not going there. Those people are wicked. I hate their guts. I'm going the opposite way. Gets on a boat, goes the opposite direction. And what happens? It's a storm. A storm is allowed. His poor choices, a storm that was going to put, do everyone in. Jonah's like, throw me overboard. And a fish swallows him. But in addition to a storm of disobedience, we also have storms of obedience. Like these are storms not of your own making. These are situations that God allows into your life, not because you've done anything wrong, but he allows them for the express purpose of perfecting you, growing you, stretching you, deepening your faith. These storms don't originate as a consequence or a byproduct of anything that you've done or haven't done. They are completely out of your control. And you know, friend, like these disciples they can arise suddenly and without any warning at all. These storms occur naturally, sometimes being nothing more than a result of simply living in a fallen planet, a fallen world. Storms can arise through a cancer diagnosis or a nagging illness, the declining health of of a loved one, wayward children, a struggle to find employment, the disappointment of a breakup, on and on and on I could go. It should be pointed out as kind of an aside that these type of occasions, these storms, can even be of demonic origin. A biblical example of this storm, aside from this situation, would be the story of Job. You know, the Bible often refers to these storms of obedience as trials. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we're provided what what is a daunting exhortation. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writing to the church, he says, My brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When you fall, not if or maybe, when. Then he continues knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. With all this in mind, we can reason that the storm these disciples are facing this night on the Sea of Galilee was not a storm of disobedience. They hadn't done anything wrong. Instead, it was a storm of obedience. Like the text is clear that Jesus was the one that had commanded that they enter this boat and set sail to the other side. The disciples are in a storm for only one reason. Their obedience. They, They took what Jesus said and now they're obeying it. And then the midst of their obedience, they find themselves in, the, in, in this incredible storm. There's an, another important point that, that must be made. As we see illustrated in this story, some storms do not occur because you've done something wrong. And I want you to hear me. Storms don't always indicate that, that you've done something to deserve it. Nor do they automatically mean your situation or circumstance signals that you're being punished by God or that you're receiving the judgment of God. Friend, sometimes storms just happen. Yeah, I've found it easier to endure a storm of disobedience. I found it easier because it's a storm of my own making. I can, as a result, see the storm coming. I can hunker down. Because it's something I created. I know why it's happening. I messed up. This is the consequence of my actions. But in contrast, storms of obedience, this is what makes them so difficult. Because of the sudden nature of these storms, they're often on top of us before we have a chance to prepare or even get a bearing. And because we don't do anything to cause these storms, we're left wondering, considering why is this happening? In many instances, like these disciples, these storms leave us asking God why he would allow the storm in the first place. And it's with that thought, we'll just kind of pause. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after the break with the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Today, Pastor Zach is talking about the storms of life and how we respond to them as believers and even where they come from. So stay with us for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show. Here's Zach Adams with more about the storms of life on today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about storms. And biblically, there are two types of storms you find. There are storms of disobedience. These are storms that are self-inflicted. You cause them. Whether it's that you disobeyed God's will or blatantly walked into sin, rebelled. These are storms where it's a trying situation, but it's a trying situation because you did something dumb and stupid to create it. And you know, in a kind of a weird twist, these type of storms are easier to deal with than, well, storms of obedience. You see, a storm of obedience is, is something that I can't see coming because they just happen. I, I, don't, I didn't do anything to, to deserve it or to, to warn it or to, to foster it or to, to make it happen. When I disobey, I, I know there are, I can understand the why, but with a storm of obedience, I struggle with that because I've been obeying you. These disciples, they're in the boat. Jesus told them to get in the boat, told them to go to the other side. You know, though it's a tough pill to swallow, the why these storms happen answer, though complex in the the specifics, is rather simple, at least in, in the generalities. Though there is no doubt these type of storms are difficult, and more often than not, they're incredibly painful, storms of obedience are allowed by God because they serve an important function in our lives as believers, as disciples, as followers. I know this is difficult to hear, especially if you're in a storm. 
know, it's often easier to see the purpose once you've exited the storm and you can look back. But in the middle of the storm, it's hard to accept the reality that there is a point to it. Now, getting back to our story, notice the first thing that this, this storm accomplished in the lives of these disciples. Don't miss it. The storm, it stripped away their self-reliance. Again, Jesus had commanded them, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus wanted to help, but they didn't let him, which is why he's sleeping. Jesus was asleep because they didn't want his help. They didn't think they needed it. As we've already noted, though Jesus had given a command, the men in that boat, they didn't want him to aid them. They could do it. They were fishermen. There was so much in in the ministry that they couldn't do, that they were in awe of Jesus doing, that, that this was one thing. We got it. We can obey this command to go to the other side in our own strength. Sit back, Jesus. We can take the reins. They wanted to engage the journey, reach the destination without Jesus' intervention or involvement. And to be fair, I think that, that they didn't do this for malicious reasons. Instead, I think they just simply believed that they didn't need Jesus' help to accomplish what, from their perspective, was a simple task. It's, it's as though they're like, Jesus, you asked us to do something, and we got it. Sit back. Relax. I, I find further proof of this theory in in another detail, a simple detail. Like at what point, think about it, at what point in the storm do these disciples finally break down, come into the hall, wake Jesus up, and ask for his help? Was it at the early signs that a storm was brewing? Oh, no, not at all, right? They, they, had, they had been in storms before. They had it. No big deal. Maybe a little bump in the road. Don't need Jesus. We've navigated storms. Let me ask, was it at the point that they realized that the storm was unlike anything that they had ever encountered? No. It wasn't then either. The earthquake and the wind. Was it at the point that they were taking on water? No. These resolute men didn't cry out for Jesus' help until they had reached the absolute breaking point. Mark says that the waves were beating into the boat. The rain is, is, is horizontal. It's hitting them in the face. They're being tossed to and fro. Mark tells us that it wasn't when water started entering the boat. It was when the boat started filling up with water that they realized they were in trouble. Matthew actually adds the detail that the boat was literally covered with waves. Luke's account of the same story ends up being a little bit more blunt. He just simply says that the men don't come to Jesus until they recognize they were, quote, in jeopardy. Understand, Jesus allows storms of obedience into our lives more often than not to remind us of a fact we're so quick to forget. And it's the fact that self, you, me, Self is completely inadequate to successfully obey any of Jesus' commands. These men thought, we got it. We don't need Jesus' help. We can make it to the other side. But the storm illustrated a reality, a daunting reality, that they were not going to make it, that they couldn't make it without Jesus' direct involvement. Jesus allowed this storm into the lives of these men to push them to the brink of what they thought they could handle on their own, in their own strength. 
Jesus allowed them to experience the overwhelming might of the storm. Again, not to destroy them, not to do them in, not to correct them, but to bring them to a point where they would come to him and their time of need. Jesus, I thought I could do it. I was confident I could do it. But I realize I can't. Again, storms of obedience are often designed to remind us that we must rely on Jesus for anything and everything. This journey that we're on, this spiritual walk, we're told that Jesus is not just the author, initiator of our faith, but he's the finisher. He finishes what he starts. You see, when it was all said and done, this storm was designed to deepen their faith in and dependency on Jesus. Don't forget, Everything in this story began with a command. It began with a command of Jesus. What was it? Let us go over to the other side. Let's go to the other side. Get in the boat. Let's go. But also notice, aside from the command of Jesus, that command also came with a promise from Jesus. He said, Let us go over to the other side. Get in the boat. Let's do this. The implications are that they were going to get to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. Let us get to the other side. Get in the boat. Obey me. I've got a promise. We're going to get there. No matter what happens between point A and point B, we will get there. Clearly, unbelief had caused them to doubt this promise. You know, storms do that, don't they? If we can be real for a minute, I, you're listening. I don't know where. I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but I can only imagine. And I can imagine in the midst of your storm, you're wrestling with that why question, but beyond that, you're asking Jesus, don't you love me? Don't you care for me? Jesus has given you promises in his word that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, that he'll allow nothing to come into your life that first doesn't come through the premise of his love, that he will work all things to the good for those who are called according to his purposes, for those in whom he loves. Don't go anywhere. We're going to finish all this up on block four of the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're looking at a story recorded in the Gospel of Mark of the disciples in the midst of a storm. There are undoubtedly storms that enter into our lives that we see coming because we created them. Storms of disobedience, like Jonah, where we mess up. And in those type of storms, I guess the silver lining is that we don't really have to struggle with the why. (laughs) Never are we on our knees praying to God, asking him why. We know why. We messed up. This is the natural consequence of poor decisions. But it's the storms of obedience that are much more difficult. Storms that come up unexpectedly. Storms that we find ourselves in at no fault of our own. In in fact, 
storms that we're in because we were obeying God, that we were doing what Jesus had commanded us. Jesus commanded these men, get in a boat, let's go to the other side. The story begins with a command, but it also came with a promise. We're going to get to the other side. And in the midst of this storm, their faith, it's rocked. Jesus commanded them to board a boat, to set sail, to cross the Sea of Galilee, knowing a storm was coming. And yet he didn't do this to sink them. They would make it to the other side, he promised. But in the process, they would learn a valuable lesson. Jesus gave them a command, cross the sea. (laughs) You know, you would have thought that after seeing the miraculous power of Jesus demonstrated in person, being an eyewitness, that no matter what ever happened on your journey, that you'd have no problems trusting that Jesus had it covered, right? And yet, these men allowed a storm to shake their confidence in Jesus, a man who caused the dead to rise to life, that multiplied loaves and fish. You know, often in the midst of our storms, it's so easy to see that light at the end of the tunnel as not being something hopeful, but as actually being the train coming to finish us off. And consider that the disciples' lapse of faith really began with a lack of faith concerning Jesus' promises, God's word. We, we see this in the manner in which these disciples finally break down and come to Jesus. These men are in a storm of obedience. It's stripped away their self-reliance. They can't do it. They're at the point of desperation, despair. And they cry out, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Of course Jesus cared. He was in the same boat. You know, some might say their protest began when they concluded Jesus' inaction revealed his indifference. But I believe their protest actually runs much deeper than that. I think the disciples were upset because as they tried to endure this incredible storm, they believed Jesus was intentionally sitting on the sidelines. You know, as many of us in the midst of storms, and I'll be honest, isn't it so easy to interpret Jesus as an action, as indifference? And yet, is that really a fair criticism of Jesus? Think about the irony of their accusation and what his inaction was evidence of. It wasn't evidence of indifference that he didn't care. Again, why was Jesus on the sidelines? In our story, Jesus was asleep for only one reason. The disciples didn't think they needed Jesus to help them make it to the other side. That's why they had failed to call him into action. It wasn't Jesus' indifference. It was their unwillingness to appeal for his help. You see, storms of obedience challenge our faith. They strip away our self-reliance, not to do us in, but to renew our dependency on Jesus. These types of situations, these circumstances, they force us to the point where we're going to sink without his direct intervention. And think about this incredible reality. Jesus wasn't stirred to act by the howling wind. He wasn't woken up by the rocking of the waves. The deafening crash of thunder and brilliant flashes of lightning had no effect on a sleeping Jesus. Think about it. What was the one thing that woke up Jesus and caused him to immediately involve himself in this storm? It was one thing. The cry of his disciples for help. And again, look at what Jesus says. He says, turning to the wind, turning to the sea, rebuking them, peace be still, the wind ceasing, great calm. His point is that the same word that led him into the storm also possessed power over the storm. I'll repeat that. The same word that led them into the storm possessed power over over the storm. I think it's important that I point out that just because Jesus spoke and this particular storm ceased 
doesn't mean that Jesus intends to work in the same way when it comes to your storm. He may, or he may not. And yet, even if your storm lasts a lifetime, take heart knowing this, my friend. Every storm at some point will cease. You know, what's critical is that you take away from this story a lesson about maybe your storm of obedience. And it's that if you cry out to Jesus, he's not only able to fulfill his promise to get you to the other side, but his word is powerful enough that it can yield the same type of supernatural results in your heart that it did on that sea. Peace and calm. Storms happen. They are an unavoidable part of life. And yet, there is a purpose in them. Storms of obedience, they'll deepen your faith and they'll strengthen your dependency on the Lord. Also, never forget, Jesus doesn't leave you to face storms alone. Were the disciples alone? No. Jesus was with them. He was in the boat. He's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, no matter what storm you happen to be in. Jesus, he has power over the storms that you're facing, whatever that happens to be. So friend, please rely on him. Reject the tendency of self to endure and rely on Jesus and him alone. Jesus' word is always able to provide peace and calm in the midst of any storm. So friend, I pray that you find your rest in Jesus. In conclusion, we're told that following the events of that day, these disciples feared exceedingly. (laughs) And they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Please realize Storms provide Jesus a chance to demonstrate his power in this world through your life in a very relevant way, a practical way, a profound way. Understand there is no more of a radical testimony as of the power of Jesus and the power of his word than a believer at peace and in calm in the midst of a storm. The world doesn't get that. The interesting thing about storms, again, is that everyone faces them. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. If you follow Jesus or you reject Jesus, life storms, which come in a myriad of varying forms, are on your horizon. Everyone's horizon. The question you should ask yourself is, do you want to face your storm alone? Because the reality is you don't have to. The one can question the manner in which these disciples come to Jesus in the heat of the moment. Don't miss the bigger point. In their storm, the one thing they did correctly is they came to Jesus. These men cried out in desperation. And Jesus heard their cry and acted on their behalf. So I tell you, my friend, wherever you're listening, or however you're listening, if you're in the midst of a storm, again, facing one in the midst of one or or leaving one, I want you to know that Jesus is more than able, more than willing to not just care, but to help. Maybe the one thing that he's waiting for is your invitation because you think you've got it. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do few things. First, contact your local Christian radio station. Tell them you're thankful that they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. Uh, Secondly, I I want you to visit our website, outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily access our podcast. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. You can listen again to this episode in its entirety or all previous episodes. You can connect Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. Send us an email, info at outlawradio.org. Or you can follow us, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Again, my name is Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. 
As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.